Well, thank you, Nathan and the band. And uh, again, welcome to you. Uh, if you are here for the first time uh, tonight, you've uh, come on a good night because we're beginning a new series uh, looking through uh, Matthew chapter 5 and uh, this second half of the Sermon on the Mount, as it's called, uh, Matthew chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 21. If you like these things, then there is a, a handout, uh, a sermon outline uh, that hopefully you've been given uh, on the way in, uh, tucked inside uh, your service order, uh, so you can see where we're going. Well, as I say, this evening we begin a new series, uh, looking through the second half of Matthew chapter 5. Listen to some of the words that we're going to hear from the lips of Jesus over the next few weeks. We're going to hear this this week, uh, chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Look on to verse 21. Uh, uh, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Look on to verse 27. We'll look at this next week. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. These are the words of Jesus. And as you hear them, do these words make you tremble? You see, they will do if we don't understand them properly. These words are absolutely terrifying verses if we don't put them into their context. For who can live up to this? A few years ago now, I was introduced to a young mum and I asked her, where do you stand on Christian things? And she said to me, I used to go to church, but I stopped going because I couldn't live up to Jesus' standard. Wistfully, she continued, I tried for some years to be as good as Jesus, but eventually I realised that no matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't do it. And so I stopped going to church, she said. If we think that to be a Christian we must attain a very high moral standard of living, then eventually we will give up. So please hear this. That is not what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. But that is the great misconception. That is what many people think it is all about. On a number of occasions people have said to me, Vicar, I'm a good person. I always try my best. I've never done anybody any harm. I live my life by the Sermon on the Mount. I'm always tempted at that point to say, what a remarkable person you are and how pleased I am to meet you. I've never met anybody like you before. You've never done anybody any harm. Well, of course, I don't actually say that. That's just going through my head. But the point is, people think that Jesus' teaching is you've got to live this good, this well, to get into heaven. But as we read this, we'll realise there is no way we can live that good. So let me tell you, that is not what we're going to hear from Jesus over these next weeks. But as we read verse 20, we might well be tempted to think that that is what Jesus is saying. For Jesus said, verse 20, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. It is a devastating sentence for anyone who doesn't understand it. Because the Pharisees were very impressive people. I know that if you've been around church for a while, you know that the Pharisees are the bad guys. And so you're very tempted at this moment, when I mention Pharisee, to sort of pretend that you're at the uh, the pantomime and to go boo. 
Well, okay, they are the bad guys, but don't get the wrong idea, don't get the wrong end of the stick. They were the most morally upright and religiously squeaky clean bunch of people you were ever likely to meet. They took their religion very seriously. They were the Bible-believing people of Jesus' day. And so Jesus' words in verse 20 are devastating. If you think that Jesus is saying you've got to be morally better than the Pharisees in order to get into heaven. If you think that's what he's saying, you don't have a hope. And neither do I. So as we kick off this series, let's be clear. You and I cannot live up to God's standards. We cannot live God's law completely. Even the best person who ever lived, who ever walked planet Earth is not good enough for God. I wonder who you think that is. Would it be Mother Teresa? Is she right up there? Best person that's ever lived? Let me spell it out. Mother Teresa's life was not good enough for heaven. The Dalai Lama, is that who you think is good? Not good enough for God. The Queen Mother wasn't good enough. And here's a shock, Cliff Richard. (laughs) Not even Sir Cliff. No one is good enough for God. So what does it mean then to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees? It is crucial because, end of verse 20, heaven depends on it. And indeed, understanding this is key to understanding the rest of Matthew chapter 5. What does it mean in verse 20 to have a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees? Well, I've put the first point under the introduction on here. It is surpassing the Pharisees in Christ. I look back to verses 10 and 11 and you'll see uh, how this word righteousness is used uh, to give us a context. Verse 10. Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs will be theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then as you look on to verse 11, look how he just shifts from verse 10 to verse 11. Verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. See what's going on there in verse 10 and 11? I'll read it again. Blessed are those who persecute you because of righteousness. Verse 11, Blessed are you if you're persecuted because of me. Jesus is righteousness. Do you see that's the point? Jesus is righteousness. And so when we come to verse 20, Jesus is saying, unless your righteousness surpasses the the, that of the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. That is, unless you have the righteousness of Jesus, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. How do I get the righteousness of Jesus? Not by trying hard, not by being good, not by doing religious things, but by faith in Jesus Christ, by trusting that his death on the cross was everything for me to cleanse me and to make me right with God. So on the sheet there, Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, you see, if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I cannot gain my righteousness through keeping God's law. It is purely through the death of Jesus. Romans chapter 3, verse 22, righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. When I have Christ's righteousness, I am completely clean in God's sight. I brought a book with me this evening. Um, I've, called it, uh, I've called it this, Paul Williams, The Memoirs and Confessions of a Justified Sinner. That's what's in here. Uh, and it contains all the worst things that I've ever thought and done, uh, the things that I am most ashamed of, uh, all the skeletons in my cupboard, uh, and there are many, uh, they're all in here. And you might think that it's a risky business bringing this uh, with me tonight. Uh, Indeed, 
Uh, you might quite like the idea of having a little look at the end of the service. Well, look, I don't mind if you do. I'm going to leave it hanging around here. You can come and have a look at it later because every page is blank. Paul Williams, the Confessions and Memoirs of a Justified Sinner. Did you get the point? It's not that I think I'm a good bloke. There's tons of stuff that could be written in there, but in Christ, because he died for me, every every page wiped clean. Isn't that wonderful? At the cross, all my sin completely forgiven. And so I now have the purity of Jesus. When it comes to rubbish, that's how I look. Pure and clean on every single page. Isn't that fantastic? That is having the righteousness of Christ. It's what the, uh, the theologians call it, the imputed righteousness given to us. That's what we celebrate as we take communion tonight. Christians, you see, are not good people. I wonder if you've come here tonight and you've just come to see what Christians believe. Don't believe that rubbish that Christians think they're good people. We are not good people. We all know that we are bad people. Christians, real Christians, know they are sinful people. Christians are people who simply know they're forgiven and that Jesus' death has completely cleansed us from all our wrongdoing. And so you see, in Christ, because of his death, I have a righteousness greater than that of the Pharisees. That's verse 20. And there's another verse for you to remember. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me ask you if you know that tonight. You really know it, not just intellectually, but you you feel it, that you are completely forgiven, that you are a clean book before the living God. It is such a fantastic thing to know. It's wonderful to be able to lay your head down on your pillow at night and know that everything's right between you and God. Now, in that sense, Christians surpass the the righteousness of the Pharisees when they are in Christ, you see? That's verse 20. But I think there's another little, little sort of twist to verse 20. Once we know that, secondly, Christians surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees in desire. You see, once I've been overwhelmed by the love of the Lord Jesus, that even though I'm a sinner deserving hell... I am seen as a clean, righteous person who's been given heaven. Once I realise that, I will long to do everything I can for him. Nothing's too much, is it? He's rescued me from eternity in hell. So Christian, as you come to communion tonight, you should be saying to yourself, you have done all this for me, Lord. What can I do for you? You see, the Christian life should be a response of overwhelming thankfulness, overwhelming love and gratitude for the Christ who died for me, a life amazed by grace. Our desire then to live the best we can comes off the back of all that he's done for me. I've never been brilliant at anything. I'm amazed when I hear some of the results that you guys got, you know, GCSEs and A-levels and, you know, you doing all your studies at university, all A's. You got, some of you got A's. I've never got an A in anything in my life, ever. I've never been brilliant at anything except for one thing. When I was a lad, I was brilliant at seeing what I could get away with. 
doing the bare minimum. I, what, if, there was, if, if it was an Olympic support, I would have represented Great Britain at this sport. When my mum or dad, they're here today, when my mum or dad would ask me to do something around the house, you ask them later, uh, I would do, no, don't ask them later, they might have other stories to tell you. I would always do the bare minimum that I had to do and as quickly as I could. If they asked me to cut the grass, I'd cut it, but I wouldn't dream of getting the strimmer out and doing the edges or sweeping up the loose cuttings. I'd definitely not clean the mower before putting away. Indeed, I wouldn't even put it away if I could get away with it. I'd just do the bare minimum. That's how the Pharisees were, you see. They lived to the letter of the law. Cut the grass, I'll cut the grass. They were squeaky clean, they didn't murder, they didn't commit adultery, they kept their promises, they never did anybody any harm. Well, they didn't do anybody any good either. Their approach to the law was, what can I get away with? When I met my wife and fell in love, my attitude to doing things was very different to when I was a lad at home. If Caroline asked me to clean the car, I'd not only clean the outside, I'd vacuum the inside, I'd check the tyre pressures, the oil and the water, I'd fill up the car with petrol and buy her some flowers while I was at the garage too. (laughs) What a class act I am, garage flowers. (laughs) Uh, The point is this, when you're in love, nothing is too much trouble, is it? And that's the difference between being religious and being in relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what these verses are all about. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus teaches that real disciples of his will have an attitude to God's law which asks, how much can I do? Or how deep can I go? Rather than, what can I get away with? So he says our righteousness should surpass the Pharisees in desire, in wanting to do the best we can. Again, if you want a theological phrase, it's to avoid cheap grace. I've been given grace from God. I don't want cheap grace. I don't want to say, oh, well, I can do whatever I like then. No, no. I'm amazed by grace. I I want to do as much as I can. Now, that's what these verses are all about in the Sermon on the Mount. And until we understand that, they're terrifying. And you'll see as we go through over these next weeks, until we've got that clear in our head, we dare not read them. So let's look at the first section. And uh, point one uh, on the handout, do not murder, verse 21. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. It's the sixth of the Ten Commandments. The Pharisees were very happy, remember, to keep to the letter of the law. It was them who, when Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, it was the Pharisees that he's talking about. God's law says do not murder, so the Pharisee believed that providing you don't spill blood, you've not broken this law. And on that understanding of the law, most of us here, I guess, could confidently say we've kept the commandment. Well, there may be a murderer among us, in fact I know there is one, but I guess most of us haven't murdered anyone. But before we give ourselves a completely clean bill of health on this, let's read on. Verse 22. See, Jesus says, but I tell you, because they said, do not murder, but I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. See, the Pharisees said, do not murder. Jesus, secondly, says, do not murder in your heart. See, Jesus here says, murder is a crime not only of the hand, but of the heart. The Christian, remember, shouldn't simply keep to the letter of the law. That's what the Pharisees do. 
The Christian who is forgiven by the death of Jesus should want to go deeper and higher and further out of love for Jesus, not seeing what we can get away with, but doing as much as we can. And that's what Jesus then is doing here. He's going deeper. Agatha Christie fans, I wonder if we've got any here, and particularly lovers of that great Belgium detective, Hercule Poirot, may remember the words he said to his stooge Hastings. I was going to do the accent, but I can't get it right, so I won't bother. It will turn out like an Indian or a Welshman or something, anyway. So let me do this, anyway. This is what he said. Now, you must remember this, Hastings. Everyone is a potential murderer. In everyone there arises from time to time the wish to kill. How often have you not felt or heard others say, I was so furious I could have killed her. I could have killed X for saying so and so. I was so angry I could have murdered him. All those statements are literally true. Your mind at such moments is quite clear. You would like to kill so and so. I see Poirot understands the issue perfectly. You don't actually have to commit the act to have the heart of a murderer. It's the deep-seated brooding anger that you felt towards someone. The way you felt towards the person who's caused you trouble. A friend, so-called friend, who's double-crossed you. An acquaintance who's bad-mouthed you when you're out of the room. At work, it's, it's the patient, if you're a doctor, a patient who's complained about you and now taking you through some sort of legal action. See, in your heart, you've been angry. And sometimes it's written on our faces. What do we say? If looks could kill. Sometimes it's written all over our faces. And of course, other times it comes out of our mouths too. See, in Jesus' day, utter the words in verse 22, Raka, and you'd be up before the Sanhedrin. That is the body of religious leaders. Raka was, was a word of intellectual snobbery. It's a way of uh, insulting a person's intelligence. The American's uh, equivalent would be to call somebody an airhead. For us, well, numbskull, blockhead, bonehead, or just plain old stupid idiot would do. I wonder how many times you said that. Muttered it under your breath, stupid idiot. When behind the wheel of a car. Yeah, now we're getting to the, uh, to the nub of it, aren't we? Yeah, driving a car does really show us how sanctified we really are, doesn't it? Well, whatever it's, what it, whenever it's said, and for whatever reason, Raka, verse 22, say it, and you'd be summoned to explain yourself before the Sanhedrin. But Jesus says, verse 22, call someone a fool, and you've got more than a Sanhedrin to worry about. You're in danger of the fire of hell. And this is what's so worrying. We've all done it. You see, fool, it's, it's character assassination, questioning someone's morality. It's seeing the, the short skirt and the heavy makeup and putting two and two together and making five. It's doubting someone's integrity just because they're in double glazing or they sell used cars or they're a banker. <laughs> well, verse 22, anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. At hell, Gehenna, Jerusalem's rubbish dumped, a place always on fire. Jesus says, you rubbish someone and you are in danger of going to the eternal rubbish dump yourself. See, because you don't have to commit murder physically to be a murderer. Just being angry puts us in that category. Look, there have been some times when I have been so angry with people 
that I have wanted them out of my life and off this planet. So while I didn't actually murder them, or in my heart, now let me stop here. Do you see why I spent so long on the introduction? Because we've all broken this law. And so in Jesus' words, we are all in danger of the fire of hell. If there's anyone who walked in here this evening thinking they're a good person, well, this stuff blows that self-righteous nonsense completely out of the water, doesn't it? I can't keep the law, God's law, when I understand it this way. That's why I need Jesus' cleansing and righteousness. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So I must trust Jesus for forgiveness so that I am viewed as righteous. But still, as a forgiven sinner, I want to aim high. And you see, my guess is, as we read these words of Jesus, we'll be thinking, well, yes, Jesus being angry with someone, I acknowledge it's bad, but it isn't as bad as actually killing them, is it? That is exactly what went through my mind as I was preparing in my study, and at that point I was well on the way to becoming a Pharisee myself. I was well down the road that says, unless I've actually murdered someone, I've kept God's law, haven't I, really? And so as Hugh Palmer, the previous vicar of this church, says so brilliantly, the Pharisees approach the law, if not licensed to kill, then it's licensed to have a killer's heart. But that's never the response of the Christian. We're longing to aim high. We should be appalled at the way we can commit murder in our hearts. And we shouldn't want to try and get away with it and excuse it. We should want to be eager to put wrongs right. Shouldn't we? And that, of course, is what Jesus tells us to do in the next verses, verses 23 to 26. First, do not murder. Second, do not murder in your heart. Third, do not murder in your heart. Do not let murder in your heart remain unresolved. Verse 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What a surprise these words are. You see, Jesus does take us to a deeper level still, as if he hasn't taken us deep enough. Do not murder. Don't murder in your heart. Now look, he goes even deeper. Look closely at verse 23. I would have expected Jesus to say something like this. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that you have something against your brother, then leave your gift and so on. That isn't what he says. See closely, Jesus says, if you remember that your brother has something against you, then leave your gift. So in verse 22, Jesus says, don't get angry with someone. In verse 23, he says, if someone is angry with you, get it sorted out. It's not good enough to say, I'll let them make the first move. They're the ones who've got the problem with me. Nothing, I haven't done anything wrong. I don't know why they're being so, so fussy and sniffy about things. That's the way of the Pharisee. The situation in verse 23 and 24 is not actually difficult to picture. You're singing God's praises, listening to his word. You're about to take communion when you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. What do you do? You get up and leave and sort out the problem now. I reckon this is the only time as a preacher I'd be happy for people to walk out on me. 
So if you want to go now, then that would be fine. But maybe it's best to listen to the end so that you do do it right. I've just got you to stay. Good. What is Jesus' remedy to a killer's heart? Well, he says, understand priorities. Verse 24. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. First go, then come. You see, Jesus doesn't want us to hide behind a religious veneer of church going and singing songs. He doesn't want us to think that we can cover up our broken relationships by doing the religious thing. He doesn't either want us to think we can make up for our broken relationships by doing the religious thing. Now, if there's a problem with a human relationship, sort it out. Don't think that church going is going to cover it up or make up for it. Now, in a congregation this size, there will be disagreements between us. Sort, it, sort them out. That's what Jesus is saying. In our families, there'll be unresolved disputes. Sort them out. Don't let them fester. Sort them out before doing the religious thing. Verse 24, first go, then come. That's point A. Point B, under the third point, is act urgently. See verse 24, go. Take immediate action. For some of us here, we need to do something. We are angry with someone, or somebody's got something against us. You may not even understand what the problem is, but but make the first move. If the person's here this evening, it will be mean making a beeline for them before we take communion. Or at least grabbing them before they leave. If the person's not here, then as soon as you get home, make a telephone call. On the way home, get your mobile out. There's no time like the present. That's what Jesus is saying. Act urgently. It's always so hard when you put it off. It won't get easier when you put it off. Remedy to a killer's heart, understand priorities. It needs to be done ahead of religious actions. Act urgently. It needs to be done before you find excuses not to do it. And thirdly, think of the consequences. It needs to be done before it's too late. Look at verse 25. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way to court or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you'll not get out until you've paid the last penny. Jesus is saying, settle out of court. Very simply, Jesus says, put things right quickly because the consequences could be dire if you don't. And I wonder if this could be a warning not to leave things until we face God's judgment. Settle disputes quickly. And if you won't do that, let me ask you, why won't you? Are you wanting people to feel guilty? To feel the weight of their sin? Do you want them to stew? Do you want them to squirm a bit? Jesus is saying, how embarrassing to come before God with that attitude. He doesn't make us squirm. He sends his son so that we don't have to squirm. He is so kind and generous in his forgiveness of us. How can we possibly be sitting here saying, I'm not going to settle it with someone else. I'm going to let them them squirm a bit. He says, sort things out now. Think of the consequences. Think of what it will feel like to stand before God bearing a grudge. Or think of what it will feel like to stand before God as someone who is unforgiven. 
You see, the point of all this is not that this lifestyle makes you a Christian, but rather this is a great test of whether we are wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ or not. Don't misunderstand. True disciples don't live perfect lives. We all have angry thoughts. That's why Jesus has to say this stuff. But real disciples of Jesus Christ will acknowledge their faults and want to put it right with their brother and sister in Christ. We will want to live at peace with others because he has made peace with us. Get relationships sorted. Now, for those of us who are wholehearted followers of Jesus, this should make us this evening run to the cross to realise afresh just how much we've been forgiven, to be amazed by grace and then to go out from here longing to live the best life we can because he's done so much for us. And if we're not committed Christians, this should make us realise, maybe we've never realised before, the real depth of our sin and make us run to Jesus for forgiveness tonight would be a good night to come to Jesus before the maybe maybe to take communion for the first time to kneel down and just to acknowledge your sinfulness and start afresh with him